0: Amen. That is our testimony this morning, church. Sinners saved by grace. Amen? Amen? Hey, it's good to be with you. Great to gather with you this morning. Um, you know, what's crazy, Pastor Jared, is that not only you know were we worshiping before projectors, but this church was worshiping before electricity. Isn't that r- I, Some of y'all were there, remember? You know, it was... Uh, just kidding. It's- What's even crazier than that is that we were worshiping before air condition. Honestly, if I'm honest, uh, that's, that's what I value. But um, it is great to gather. And I'm proud of y'all for busting out that hymnal and praising God despite even technical difficulties. So um, today we worship, today we gather. As Pastor Jared said, we were made to do this. You were created to give praise uh, to God. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to continue in worship through the preaching of his word. I'm so excited to be able to sing with you all. But church family, we're going to dive into Colossians as we continue in our series in the book of Colossians, our our journey through that letter. You can be turning to Colossians chapter 2. I don't know about you all, but I am constantly amazed at the technological advances that happen in our world, right? Just the fact that, you know, I have a cell phone and and I can FaceTime people and call people. I mean, it's remarkable. I, I don't know how that works, but it does. And I'm thankful for it. It makes my life a little bit easier, right? Or today we have cars that can park themselves, which I I still don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it exists, right? We have projectors that put words up, right? Technology, it's helpful. We have watches that monitor our heart rate. I mean, there are so many things, the list could go on and on, so many things that man has created and designed and invented that make our life easier, not only in the technology field, I'm also amazed at, at the medical world, right? The, the advances in modern medicine. I'm amazed at what doctors can do and what surgeons can do. It's pretty remarkable, right? Think about how far we've come. But what's also amazing to me is that despite all of these advances and, and despite the fact that our life in so many ways has gotten easier and more connected, and more integrated, the quality of our life has improved so much, yet, when you look at charts that give you data on anxiety, and stress, and depression, and mental illness, all of those are also at an all time high. So as our quality of life increases, as we're more and more connected, as we're more integrated, as the luxuries we have are greater and greater, what's happening is not what you would expect Right, because you would think that we would have more happiness, we would have more peace, we would have more joy, fulfillment, contentment, right? As quality of life goes up, shouldn't all of those things go up? But what we're finding, collectively, as a society, as a human race, is that we're not actually solving problems with our discoveries and inventions and creations. What we're doing is really, ultimately, revealing the ultimate problem which is that there is no such thing as fulfillment or contentment or satisfaction or joy or peace or salvation apart from union with Christ. And I want to focus in on that phrase for a little while this morning, union with Christ. We're a culture and a society that is so connected and integrated with so many things, but what we want to do this morning is, lean into and point to what it means to be in union with Christ. That phrase Paul uses many times, in Christ, in him. He uses it this morning in our in our text. And he uses it 159 other times in his writings, averages out to about 12 times per letter. So this is a major theme for him. Paul's definition of a Christian is not someone who knows about Jesus, has heard about Jesus, even sits under the teaching of Jesus. Paul's definition of a Christian is someone who is united with him. There's a union, a connectedness that takes place. The New Testament as a whole presents Christianity this way for us, right? It shows us that the Christian faith is not just a, a worldview, right? It's, it's not just a set of values, It's not just some spiritual therapy that gives us peace of mind. Ultimately, Christianity is to be united in Christ. We want to talk about that this morning. Some of you are here this morning saying, gosh, there's got to be more to it. There's got to be more to this whole Christian life, this Christian journey, right? If we're honest, some of us here are bored with it. Some of us are burnt out by it. Right it's easy to just to become bored when we don't understand the connectedness and the union and the deep relationship that takes place. We've been there before. Some of us are burnt out, we're tired of it. We've gone through the cycle so many times. We've tried harder every time only to realize we didn't measure up and that's exhausting. Listen, if you're there this morning, can I invite you Can I invite you in to the depths of the gospel? Can I invite you into the person of Christ? Can I invite you into union with him? This morning we put our pens down and we join into life with Jesus. J.I. Packer said this in his book, A Quest for Godliness. He said, communion between God and man is the end to which both creation and redemption Are the means. It is the goal to which both theology and preaching must ever point. It is the essence of true religion. It is indeed the definition of Christianity. Church, we talk a lot about what Christ has done for us, and we should. But let's not forget that he is not only a Savior who accomplishes and operates outside of us. He is a Savior that dwells within us. So what does that look like? Let's go into Colossians. Let's turn our eyes to the book of Colossians. We have seen so far, just to catch up, we've seen Pastor Jared lead us through that first chapter. We've gone through the greeting, the introduction. We've seen Paul's powerful prayer for the Colossian people, right? Uh, We have seen what God has accomplished through Christ He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Come on. Now, or after that, actually, Paul then gives us this incomprehensible picture of the supremacy of Christ, right? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, right? In him, all things hold together. How do you wrap your mind around something like that? And then this morning, he shifts. So we go from beholding this rich theological truth to now, Paul says, all right, we need to shift a little bit. We need to receive that. How do we receive that? How do we apply that? How do we move forward? Well, he gives us instructions this morning. Let's look at verse six together. We're only gonna read verse six and seven. Verse six, therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, Bayleaf. How did you receive Christ Jesus? Freely. Now go walk in him freely this morning, right? You don't have to walk in condemnation and in guilt. You don't have to walk on eggshells. You walk in him as you received him, which was by grace. It was a gift. It was free. Now walk freely as you received him Look at verse seven. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now these verses here really serve as the the introduction to the body of the rest of the letter. Right, The driving theme from here on out is gonna be found right here in six and seven. But I also think and believe that these two verses right here capture for us really the essence and the key to the Christian life. They call us to an inseparable, immovable abiding in Jesus. So I want to look at really two things. What does that mean? right? What does it mean to, to walk in him, to be united in him? We want to really develop kind of an understanding of that, but then look kind of at a picture of what that looks like. What does it mean? What does it look like? Paul's language will kind of help us develop a visual on what it looks like to walk in him, all right? So, Pastor Tim Keller has said that, you know, a lot of pastors don't like to talk about union in Christ because it requires so so many metaphors and illustrations to to draw out its meaning, right? It's hard to articulate Right, it's it's complex. You can't go to a systematic theology book and find this doctrine neatly packaged and then just regurgitate it. It is complex in nature. Right, we can't go to a commentary to fully grasp what's taking place here. But what we can do and what we should do this morning, church, is to look at Jesus. Just let's look at him. This is why the author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter. Of your faith, so we want to look to Jesus as we seek to understand union with Jesus. Now, let's be honest for a moment. You get to these verses where it says, my version says, "therefore," right? Yours might say, "so then," but we recognize, okay, this is a shifting point. Uh, this is when the application starts to sink in, right? We've we've seen the theology, we've seen Paul lay out some of these doctrinal statements, and therefore, okay, now I got to go live this out. Paul's letters always have that transition point, right? Therefore, go, okay. And now, in our flesh, how do we respond to that? Because it can be easy to read these verses and say, okay, all right, then I I guess I gotta go be a better Christian. I I need to go be more committed, or I gotta be more generous or more disciplined. And church, those things are true, those are a part of the Christian faith, but what you and I need this morning is not for someone to tell us that. What you and I need this morning is for someone who can empower the Christian life in us. right? We need someone who can produce the Christian life in us. Think about Jesus' first invitation to the disciples when he called Peter and Andrew, and he said, hey, follow me. And then what did he say? He didn't say, I hope you learn quick, right? Hey, follow me, try to keep up. He didn't say that. He said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men, right? The Christian life is lived out of the empowerment of Christ himself. He enables us to follow his example. So these verses, the whole point of them is to call us out of the patterns and the rhythms of self-reliance, Right? And into life with Christ. A life that doesn't just seek to follow his example, but one that is empowered by his presence in order to live out that example. If you're here and you're trying to follow Jesus' example without Jesus' empowerment, we will, like we've said already, either get burnt out or get bored with it. You will see the Bible as nothing more than ancient literature. Jesus becomes some idealistic version of a human that you'll never be able to live up to. What's relatable about that? What's applicable about that, right? Perhaps you're on the burnt out end where you've, you've done the religious thing so much and you're sitting here saying, "What? Well, there's got to be more to this. Right, And you've gone through that cycle and you're exhausted because you've tried to be more like Jesus. And then in good intentions have tried your best, but day after day you're reminded that it's just not good enough. Honestly, I think a lot of us are exhausted not because we are in active rebellion against God, but we're trying to do the work of God in our own strength. it only leads to burnout, it only leads to boredom. We need, what we ultimately need is union in Christ, someone who's not just an example for us, but the empowerment within us. I saw recently a Google search, um, signs of burnout. This statistic said that the Google search signs of burnout has increased 24%, all right? People, uh, it seems everywhere, are growing weary. And this, the other data, you know, says the same thing. Anxiety, depression, all of these mental illnesses are up higher than ever. So we're living in a period of time where people are desperately trying to solve this great problem of emptiness, this great void within themselves. The world right now is begging for an answer. And church, the answer lies in the invitation that Jesus gives to us. It lies in union with him. I love Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, where he says what? Come to me all who are and I will give you rest. You emphasize the rest part, right? Because we want that, a lot of us know that verse, but if we're, on, or if we're honest, we're, we might be saying, gosh, I, I know he said it, I believe it's true, but I don't feel it in my soul. Right? Some of us are here and there's just this simmering uneasiness in our life that, that we can't seem to, to shake. And we can't even identify sometimes why it is we're not at rest. We're not at peace. Where's the key to receiving this rest? Well, what does Jesus say after that? He says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So in other words, his invitation is to a way of life that is not an escape from all burdens and problems, but it is a way that you are empowered within those circumstances. He doesn't say, give me your yoke, which is a, a tool that would go across the shoulders of animals to help pull the plow. He doesn't say, give me your yoke. All right, now you're good. Now run along. Right, He says, no, 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 give me yours. Okay, here's mine. Take mine. Right, As if to say the point of life is not for you to just escape every issue and conflict and problem in your life. The point is to shoulder it properly. The point is to walk in the ways of Christ. The point is that you can live abundant life. You can flourish in Christ. His whole invitation is for you to come and exchange your yoke. Not get rid of everything, it's to shoulder it in a healthy way, and the only way we can do that is in Christ. His desire is to be in union with you. I want you to hear that this morning. He wants it, right, sometimes we get this idea that we're just tolerated a little bit by God. He's fulfilling some kind of obligation. But can you, can you receive it this morning that he wants you? He wants relationship with you, like deeply, like more than anything. What were the father's first words after Genesis 3? Right, the fall of man, Adam and Eve, sin and rebel against God, that union is separated. What does God say? What have you done? No. He says, where are you? The first words out of the father's mouth is language of Pursuit. That union has now been severed, and the first thing God says is, where are you? And the rest of the story of the Bible unfolds in this grand narrative of God making a way back to his people. Union is always the goal. His presence with us is always the goal. So what does it mean to walk in him? It means we're empowered by him. We we rest in him. We surrender to him. Paul uses this, that phrase to walk in um, because it's a very Old Testament way of describing relationship with God. Uh, it's a very Jewish way of communicating lifestyle and rhythms and patterns of life. The Old Testament says, you know, Genesis 6-9. We, we read about Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless Among his contemporaries, Noah walked with God. Genesis 5, Enoch walked with God. Abraham walked before God. Deuteronomy 8, 6 says, for us to keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways. It's not just communicating a step-by-step action, right? The action of walking. What's interesting is that the word to walk is often, hundreds of times actually, translated to live, to live. So what's being communicated here is not some robotic action, but it is the lifestyle and the way in which you live. It is God's presence and action in you and through you, right? He is not just an example we observe. He is the one who empowers us to move, to walk with. So hopefully now we've grasped the importance of, at least, union in Christ, right? Now, there is not enough words in the dictionary, nor do I have enough knowledge to ever fully articulate the mystery involved in what it means to walk in Christ, but it is Paul's first instruction to the Colossians, before anything, walk in him. So now he moves into verse 7, takes it a step further for us. Gives us a little bit of a picture, if you're like me and you like the The pages with the pictures on there, all right? That's what he's helping us with. He's giving us descriptives. He's taking it a step further, right? He's telling us that we're called to walk in him. Now, this is what that looks like. There's a way to do it, right? Again, it's not just robotic, mindless, religious routine. It is hey, this is what it looks like to walk in Christ. There's a, there's a deep rootedness. There's, you're built up, right? He's given us a picture. Now, for you business owners, think about it this way. If you hire an employee, your desire is to is not to just find someone who can fulfill the task, right? Who can just do the bare minimum or complete the assignment. You're, you want someone who is going to root themselves in your company and believe in what you're doing, right? And empower the good of the business and and really care about that culture. That's the kind of person you want, right? In the same way, we're walking in Christ in a way that is deeply rooted in who he is. We are built up in a way that projects and promotes the kingdom. So notice with the the language he uses, there's, there's two actions taking place. There's a downward action and there's an upward action. Right, we are rooted in his truth, we are rooted in scripture, and it stabilizes us, provides foundation, and then we are also, this is important because it goes with it, we are built up. We are built up as the community, built up as the church to proclaim him. There is growth beneath the surface and growth above the surface, and one without the other is incomplete and without fruit. Think about it, if there is a giant root system outside but there is no tree above it, then you would just never know it existed. It would be unknown. It would be irrelevant. Likewise, if there's a tree standing with no roots, it would fall with the first gust of wind. Downward growth, upward growth are both important. To walk in Christ is to root yourself in him so that the life you display proclaims him. Right? Your your public witness is directly connected to how deep your roots are in Christ. Your public witness for Christ is directly connected to how deep your roots are in him. If you have shallow roots, then it's likely that when other people see you or, or think about you, they're, they're thinking more about the things of the culture or the world, right, than they are of Christ. William J. Tom said, be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible that some people ever read. Now, obviously, you and I are not going to walk around as a perfect embodiment of scripture, right? Living perfect lives always. Yet the gospel is so powerful that even in your faults and even in your shortcomings, even in your sin, we can promote the glories and goodness and mercy of God. Right? You can display gospel in your repentance. You can display gospel in forgiveness and in reconciliation. Right? You can display gospel by simply saying, I'm sorry, in a culture that doesn't ever want to admit fault. Right, What does your public witness say about who Jesus is? It has to do with our roots. Walking in him means that you look like him because your roots are drawing nutrients from the life of Christ. Jesus washed feet. Jesus sought out the humble. He rebuked the prideful. Our culture rewards the prideful and tramples the humble. Jesus fed the hungry. Jesus pursued the rebel. He prayed for those who persecuted him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Do we look like this? Do we look like Jesus? Are our roots so deep in him that others look to us and look to you and say, that looks like Christ. I, um, I was born in a little town in southeast Virginia called Suffolk, Suffolk, Virginia. And um, it was a rural, rural town, rural. Gosh, that's a hard word to say. Um, and, uh, you know, if you go and find videos from that time in my life, home videos, um, you'll find that, that little Stephen had a pretty thick southern accent. It's kind of funny to hear. Um, because I was, that was my culture. The dominant accent all around me was kind of that southern draw. And so people would know, like, okay, that kid's, yeah, he's from around here. Like, nobody saw me, talked to me, thought, yeah, he's from New England. You know, this is, he's definitely from Suffolk. And so, but even now, you've, you've, you can hear me talk, and I've lost that southern draw, but even still... If I were to go over to England, uh, which they speak the same language, as soon as I open my mouth, they would say, oh, you're from America, you're from the States, right? Immediately upon talking, they would recognize that I'm not a citizen there, I don't uh, belong there, right? They would say, you're from America, just by the way I talked. Friends, church, do people know that our citizenship is of another kingdom, right? Can they pick up on that? Can they see that? because your life is so rooted and anchored in Christ, do they know by the way you talk, by the way you listen? Do they know by the patience in your life, by the compassion in your life, that you have a citizenship that does not lie here in an earthly dwelling? Jesus says in Matthew 7 that a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit meaning it is impossible for us to walk in Christ and not display Christ to those around us it's impossible our roots beneath the surface are directly connected to a godly life above the surface now would you zoom out for me i'm going to zoom out take a step back i want to look at context for a minute all right we're we're getting ideas we're getting pictures now I don't want us to forget what's going on all around the passage and us in our present moment. So you remember, as Pastor Jared has pointed out a number of times, that the Colossian church is dealing with false teaching, right? As are we. False teaching is everywhere all the time. And they're dealing with what what Pastor Jared said is kind of like this Jesus plus theology, right? This whole idea that Jesus saves, but you also need a little bit of this, right? Or, Or Jesus is satisfying plus a little bit of this. There's always this Jesus plus theology, and we deal with the same thing, right? But I want, you to, I want you to see it in the text. Go to verse 4, chapter 2. right? Paul gives a little warning here. Verse 4, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Right? There's a warning. And notice also, he says, that sometimes these false teachings come in the form of pretty persuasive arguments, pretty reasonable arguments arguments that's what plausible means right sometimes it makes sense and let me just tell you that's what the enemy wants to do take truth and twist it in just the right way to get people to say oh yeah I think that's right but that's what shallow roots do right they don't catch on they're not anchored into the the essence of truth so he gives that warning now jump all the way to verse 8 let's see it again he says in verse 8 see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. All right, so two warnings right there against false teaching and then sandwiched between them is what? The verses that we're focusing on this morning, right? There's a strategy there, right? All around these verses, all around us, all around their culture, their context are these constant attacks of false teaching and our first response their first response is not hey let's go into attack mode right Paul says first and foremost in this culture of false teaching don't attack anchor yourself right abide in Christ before you do anything before you move anywhere rest in him take your roots deeper and deeper into him Folks, we don't want to be a, a church and a people who are constantly just reacting to culture. We want to be a people who are saturating culture with Jesus. And the only way we can do that is if we are filled with and united with him, and his presence is empowering us to live that out. Now, let's, let's kind of zoom back in, if you will. Well, actually, let's not. Keep your, keep your, your angle out for a minute. Because I do want to, I do want to bring this more into an applicable. Uh, I, I do want to make this make sense for us, right? So think about our day right now. What, in your mind, is the most dominant false teaching of the day? All right. We could list all kinds of things, um, all kinds of ideologies that are seeking to solve the problem of sin, but ultimately are just dancing around it or or outright denying it. And at the heart of it all, is pride, right? So I would say the most dominant. Teaching of our day, false teaching, false narrative of our day is this idea that truth is relevant. Right? Your truth is your truth, mine is mine. And on the surface, that seems like a pretty pretty good way to keep the peace. Seems pretty tolerant, right? Seems pretty accepting. You do you, I do me. What's true for you is what's true for you, right? But at the core of that is actually a, a wicked arrogance, right? A, a deep pride that puts us on the throne, right? It dethrones God, puts us on the throne, which then causes us to drive our roots deeper and deeper into ourselves. And ultimately, then, technology does become our only hope. Medical, medicine, it does become our only hope. Money, inventions, discoveries, it does become our only hope because we've put ourselves on the throne and the only way our roots can grow is back into our selfish, sinful, nature it's pride trying to disunify relationship between us and God there was a minister once and a, a minister actually a boy scout and a computer expert all right they're on a plane together they were the only passengers and at one point the the pilot popped out of the cockpit and jumped into the cabin and said listen guys the plane's going down we're going to crash he said but there's only There's only three parachutes on board, um, and I'm going to take one because I've got a a wife and three kids. So he grabbed the parachute and jumped out. Then the computer genius looked at the other two and said, listen, I'm I'm one of the smartest guys in the world. Um, They need me, so I'm going to take one. So he grabbed the parachute and jumped out. And then the minister looked at the Boy Scout and said, son, you're young. You've got a lot of life to live. Um, You take the parachute. I'm going to go down with the plane. And the little boy scout said, Relax, Reverend. The smartest man in the world just grabbed my backpack and jumped out of the plane. <laughs> Pride. Pride is thinking that, that we can save ourselves apart from the only one who can. That's at the center of all false teaching. That's at the center of all false narratives that are all around us. This idea that you are God and he is not. And the way in which we combat that is first and foremost, as Paul puts it, rooting yourself in him, walking in him, being established in him, being built up so that others see the compelling, beautiful, wonderful nature of the kingdom of God. Now, now let's zoom back in with me, all right? We um, want to look at, That two more words really, Paul is giving us a picture, isn't he? Using language like rooted, built up, then he says established. So it's like really a picture of a building. Think of a building right now, right? A brick building. The higher a building goes, the deeper its foundation goes, right, the deeper its roots go. So you have a building that is rooted in its foundation. It's built up by the bricks that compose it, but it's held together by the mortar between all of those bricks all around it, right? And in the same way, Paul is saying here, all of this is held together and established and secured by faith, right? How did you receive Christ? It was in faith. Nothing that you did, nothing that you accomplished. It was by faith. We have access to the Father through faith. That is what secures us and holds us together together. Remember Colossians 1 when it says that in him all things hold together? Right? That building holds together by faith, and in Christ all things hold together. How many of you are tired of trying to hold all things together? We have a tendency to want to play that role. The role of Jesus, or the role of that mortar between the bricks. We want to be the ones that are the glue that holds it all together, and it's exhausting. You can't do it. Take his yoke. Faith establishes us, secures us, keeps us in Christ. Now, if I could just point out a a quick grammatical uh, lesson for us, and I'm not a grammar guy, but I find it interesting. Even in Paul's grammar, he's preaching a message for us. Those words that we just saw, right, rooted in, built up, established, they're all passive verbs in the Greek, Which means they they need an agent to accomplish that task, right? Which is God. So God has rooted us. God has uh, built us up. God has established us. So the message is not go and do better. Go and try to root yourself. It is, hey, God did this. Now live out of that reality. But then, this is where we'll end. What is his last verb? What is his last command? He says, abounding. You and I are abounding in thanksgiving. There's another verb, and in the Greek, it's an active voice, which means the only thing that he's asking you to go and do is to go and overflow with thanksgiving. Go and respond to the greatness and goodness of God. Your takeaway this morning, the action set for you, go and abound in thanksgiving. Go overflow in gratitude because of who God is, who Jesus is, how he loves you through Christ, how you don't have to go and try harder. All you have to do is walk in him and he produces the Christian life through us. Friends, are you rooted in him? Are we being built up in him? Are we established in that faith? Because God accomplishes those things, we can now, right now, in the present, go and abound in thanksgiving. Let's go and do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful for this morning. Thank you for, Lord, just your people. Thank you for this community. Thank you for relationships. God, thank you ultimately that you have not left us to figure this out on our own. You have not left us to try to work this out by ourselves. But God, you came to us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. I pray now in this moment. That for those who are exhausted or burnt out or bored, Lord, or, or, or walking in active sin, that you'd call them back. God, that you would refresh them, that you would lead them to repentance, right? Your kindness is what drives us to repentance. And so, Father, we pray that, that you would meet us there. God, cause our hearts to turn to you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord, as we respond to your word and, Lord, your, your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.